Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Good to have you here today. Um, We're in our series called Expecting Jesus. That song just talked about Come Thou Long Expected Savior. So maybe you've heard that song before. That's what we've been talking about in this series is what should we expect when we're expecting Jesus? I think this is a really clever title for a series, by the way, like what to expect when you're expecting Jesus. Um, If you didn't pick up on that, that's what that's about. It's about uh, Pastor Eric, our Riverdale pastor, kind of took the lead on this series, and they just had a baby, so he's got baby on the mind, and uh, so he's he's done a good job with this series, and we're going to be talking a little bit today about the unexpected pregnancy, and we're going to jump into that story from Luke chapter 1, but first I just have to ask, how many of you... um, have high expectations when you go on vacation. Raise your hand if you have high expectations when you go on vacation. All right, how many of you sometimes, sometimes those high expectations aren't met when you go on vacation? Good. That, you know, we just, if you're, if you're friends with us on Facebook, you probably have already seen all the pictures, but we just got back from this trip that we've been waiting to take for, li- like, before COVID. Seriously. COVID threw off all of our plans, as, as it did for many of us, and so we'd been saving for several years now, but pre-COVID, our daughter was graduating college and our son was graduating high school, and so in celebration of that, we were going to finally go to Europe together, then COVID happened, we didn't do it, so we postponed it, so, but we've still been saving money for it, we're like, this is going to be the one big once-in-a-lifetime vacation that we take as a family we finally took it last, just this last, in the last couple of weeks. Our son was studying at University of Utah. He's studying abroad in London. So we, we thought this is the perfect time to go. So he was already in London. So we went to London. And then Tracy is all, her dream has always been, my wife Tracy, her dream has always been to eat pasta in Rome, in the streets of Rome. How many of you have had that dream in your life, right? Anybody? Some of you. This was like, I guess this is kind of a normal dream. I never really thought much about it. Like, Olive Garden's fine, but, um, <laughs> but we finally got, so we went to London for a couple of days. It was cool cruising around London. Um, but then we, we, as a family, we went down to Rome for a couple of days. And by the way, if you've never been to Rome, Rome was really cool. Like the Colosseum and the Forum, like to see this stuff that is so old, so ancient, it's I think it's hard for an American to wrap our mind around stuff like that. Like the, we don't have anything old around here in our country, um, but they're like two thousand years old. This stu- this stuff we're we're walking through. It was crazy. It was incredible to walk through there. But my our favorite part of it was walking through the streets of Rome. I mean, you'd just be walking down these these picturesque streets, and you know, there's restaurants all over the place, and. And then you'd come around a corner, and then you see another 2,000-year-old build, like the Pantheon is right around. I remember walking down the streets, and we're like, oh, look, let's, let's shop for an Italian leather purse right here. And then we'd walk 50 more yards, and we'd turn the corner, and the Pantheon is there. I mean, it was just surreal. It was hard to even wrap your mind around. But my point is, we, one of the reasons we spent all this money was to go there and to try the the food, right? Try the spaghetti, try the, try the lasagna, try the stuff on, on, you know, in the cute little bistros. 
And even my wife would admit, even though she told me, please don't say this anymore to people. You don't want to offend people. Look, whatever, just deal with it. Okay, this is my opinion. You can have your opinion, okay? By, by three days into it, we're like, could we just get like a burrito somewhere? Because <laughs> every restaurant had the same menu. And okay, it was good. Don't get me wrong. It was delicious. It was better than Olive Garden, Okay. But after two or three days of the same food, we, we realized that it just, my opinion, it just didn't quite meet my expectations. It was good, but it wasn't worth traveling all those miles for. It was good. Like a once, in, in fact, I asked Tracy as we were flying home, I'm like, can we check this off your list now or do we have to come back next year? And she's like, we can check it off the list. Even she admitted, we can check. It was great. We can, said we, we can say we did it. But for us, our vacations oftentimes don't quite meet our expectations. And I think it's the worst. I think it's the worst when your expectations are so high, like there's no way it could have, I think, probably met those expectations. They were, our expectations were too high. Now, in this series, we've been talking about expecting Jesus, and I want to I read for you something that I read just last week as we, as we were starting this series. It was just in my, I've been reading through the Bible in a year this last year. I'm almost done, and I really encourage you to do that, by the way, next year, is to read. If you've never read through the Bible in a year, you can do it with a version plan. But in our readings for last, last week, John chapter 7, it says this, the, the, the people are talking about Jesus and the question that they asked was, could Jesus possibly be the Messiah? Now, Messiah was a Jewish word. It was a Jewish term for this Savior. The Jewish people, like we were just singing about, had long expected the Messiah. Come thou long expected Messiah. That was a, that's a Jewish concept. All through the Old Testament, there was this idea that there was the Savior was going to come along. This guy was going to come along. And he was going to rescue Israel. He was going to rescue the people. Because Israel used to be this great nation under David and under Solomon. But then it just, ever since Solomon, it just was on this downhill path. And the people of Israel were always waiting for this Messiah. And so when we talk about this long-expected Messiah, I want you to see what they were expecting. It's so interesting. I'd never really noticed this before. It says in verse 27, but how could he be? How could Jesus be the Messiah? For we know where Jesus comes from, but when the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. So there were apparently some people back in Jesus' day that thought, well, this isn't the guy we've been expecting because we know Jesus is from Nazareth. We know he's a carpenter, he's a son of a carpenter, he's probably apprenticed as a carpenter. Like, we know this guy. We know people who went to school with this guy. Like, we, some of us are Facebook friends with this guy. So this guy's way too known, and what they thought is when the Messiah appears, he's just going to appear out of nowhere. He's going to come out of nowhere. Isn't that interesting that some people, that was their expectation, and so they wrote off Jesus because they knew his backstory. But the truth is, everybody sort of missed who Jesus was and how he would come. And when we sing songs like this or, or when we think about the Christmas 
story and we, we think about the nativity scene, we take all of that for granted because we just think, well, I've, I've heard this since I was a little kid. Like, we all know the story. But I want us to just take a look this morning at the story of, or a part of the story of Christmas. I want, to, I want us to take a look at it with some fresh eyes. I want us to kind of try to back up a little bit, put ourselves in the shoes of Mary, who was probably 14 or 15 years old, and put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph, who was probably a few years older than Mary, but not much. And let's think about this story and how shocking it must have been to them as well. Today we're, we're titling the message, The Unexpected Pregnancy. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. So this main stories, whenever we read the stories of, of Jesus and his birth, we typically get it from either Luke or from Matthew. Those are the two gospels that spend the most time on the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to take a look mainly at Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at the messenger, we're going to look at the method, and we're going to look at the mission. Now, before we get into that, I don't know what you think of when you think of the words unexpected pregnancy, but for, for me, I think about our second kid. So we have two kids. We're so blessed to have both of them. The first one, Kenzie, when we found out we were pregnant with Kenzie, we just, we couldn't even fully wrap our mind around this, that we were going to be parents. Anyone who's a parent here, you know, probably know what I mean. And we, man, there was, I remember the day Tracy went in to finally have Kenzie. It was, it was, it was an, it was an awesome day. And I got, we got to be there and see this, this beautiful little baby girl come into the world. And we had no idea how our lives were going to change. That was 22 years ago. We had no idea how our lives were going to change. But for the second one, we had a little bit of an idea, right? We had a little bit. Two and a half years later, we finally, we finally are getting ready to have AJ. So we had a better sense of what this was going to be, but Kenzie had no idea. Kenzie was two and a half years old. One of our favorite things to do is to watch home videos at Christmas time. Every Christmas, we watch videos of when our kids were little, and luckily, we've, we took a lot of videos of that kind of stuff, and so we've got tons of footage of that. Tracy mocked me for it 20 years ago, but now she loves me for it. She realizes I was right, and she was wrong. <laughs> so every, and now, even our kids are old enough now to actually enjoy it. We, seriously, we sit around the computer, and we go through our, some family, not all of it, but we go through family vi video footage, and we're skipping through, and one of our favorite scenes to watch, I should have brought it, maybe someday, but one of our favorite scenes to watch is the day AJ was born, February 20th, 2003. Kenzie was there at the hospital, and AJ was born, and, and eventually we brought Kenzie in to introduce her to AJ, who she'd heard about for nine months, because Tracy was pregnant, and the, Tracy got bigger and bigger. Don't tell her I said that, but she got just, you know, bigger and bigger, and, and every time we would talk about it with Kenzie, we would say, that's AJ. AJ's in there. Your little brother's in there. We're trying to get her ready for this. But how can you get ready for this when you're two and a half years old? So AJ is born, and, and Kenzie finally comes into the room, and she's got the big, I'm the big sister shirt on, and she's got a little, a little present that we gave her that she was going to give to AJ. She was going to try to ingratiate AJ to her right away and be a, big, a good big sister right away. And, and we have this all on, on film, and, 
Kenzie walks in the room and she sees mom over there and, and mom's recovering in the bed and, and she sees grandma over here on the couch in this alien <laughs> on grandma's lap. And Kenzie walks in like it's any other day and she's just having, Kenzie, AJ's here. And we, we, sh- we, we bring her over to the little alien on grandma's lap and we said, give your, give your gift to AJ, and she gives the gift to AJ. You could just see, like, it's deer in headlights look. Like, she's just doing everything we're saying to do, and she's just, you know, ho-hum. And, and then, like, 30 seconds into it, she just kind of pauses for a second. Kenzie's our pensive child. She pauses, and she looks over at Mom. She looks over at Grandma, and she looks over at the alien. And finally, she said, this is AJ? (laughs) It didn't meet her expectations. She had no idea how her life was going to change from that day forward. And you know, the same is true for this teenage girl, Mary. Luke chapter 1, it picks up the story. We see this messenger, says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Now, quick little backstory. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Now, Elizabeth wasn't young. She was old. She was too old to have kids. And yet, God miraculously, you can read about this in Luke 1, but God miraculously allowed her to have a child, and that child was, anybody know? John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the mom of John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, Gabriel earlier had talked to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. You can read that again in Luke chapter 1. But the same angel is sent now to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. We'll talk more about that in a second. Joseph was a descendant of King David, just like Mary was. By the way, you can read their two genealogies. We talked about their genealogies last week. But a lot of people are a little bit confused that the genealogy in Matthew is different than the genealogy in Luke. But you have to understand that one genealogy is following the line of Mary and the other genealogy is following the line of Joseph. Anyway, Gabriel, the angel, the messenger, appears to Mary and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, some translations actually say, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Favored means given grace. The angel's message coming to Mary, the angel's message was, God favors you. Something really, really good is about to happen to you. Now, just think about that. Just pause. Pause for a second. Think about that. Something really, really good is about to happen to you, 14-year-old girl. You're going to be pregnant, and nobody's going to know who the dad is. Does that sound good? (laughs) Doesn't sound good to me. I don't think it probably sounded very good to Mary. In fact, the very next verse says, confused and disturbed. Now, Mary didn't know the information. I want to make sure that you understand that Mary didn't understand the message that the angel was bringing. He was about ready to bring it. We'll read it here in a second. But, but I just love these two words. Now, think about in your, 
kitchen right now. If you guys are at all like my wife, you love to decorate for all the holidays, but none more than Christmas. And Tracy loves to decorate for Christmas. I think one year I counted like 15 Christmas trees in our house. That's ridiculous to me, but whatever. We'll take that up later with my wife. But she loves Christmas, and I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. But I've looked all, all around the whole house, and I have found words like joy and Jesus and love and Emmanuel. But I don't see anywhere on the walls these Christmas words confused or disturbed. <laughs> Those don't make the cut at Joanne's. But these are, these are Christmas words. These are Christmas words. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. What do you mean, I'm favored? What, what do you mean, God is giving me grace? He's extending grace to me. And so the angel clarifies, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have, here's a word again, you have found favor with God. I'm sure Mary's thinking, I've heard, okay, get on with it. What are we talking about here? What is this going to look like for me? And so he explains it. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, his kingdom will never end. This is the message from the messenger. I want to ask you a question as we think about the message of the good news, right? Because in a sense, this is the first time we see the message of the good news of Jesus being brought to, to anyone in this in this story, right, in the New Testament. Mary is the first one. In fact, you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat, the the song that Mary breaks out in, it's really a cool song, the song that she breaks out in to praise God and to thank God that he would extend this grace and favor to her and that, that she would be the one that everyone was waiting for. Like she would be the one to deliver the long-expected Messiah into the world. Nobody, for generations, nobody knew how this was going to go about and, and somehow God chooses this 14 or 15-year-old girl and she would be the one to I mean, imagine this. She would be the one to have to be the mom of Jesus. She was Jesus' mom. That's crazy. Like, I don't even think we can fully... I remember walking in the streets of Rome. I couldn't fully take in the Colosseum. I couldn't fully take in the Forum. And I'm sure Mary couldn't fully take this in, that she was going to be the mom for the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She was going to be the one to change his diapers. She was going to be the one to teach him how to go in the big boy potty. I, like, I remember teaching AJ that. Like, Mary was going to do that for Jesus. That's crazy. Like, how, how could you even wrap your minds around it? She truly was favored. She truly did have grace. God extended this to her. And the messenger, Gabriel, was the one that got to bring that good news to her. I want you to think about who brought you the good news of Jesus. Just really, I, I want everybody to just think for a second about who brought you the good news of Jesus. Now, for me, it was my mom and dad. My, my parents, I was 
By the grace of God, I was favored by God that I was raised in a home with a Christian mom and a Christian dad. Man, how lucky was that? But actually, if I go back a little bit further, I know even a little bit more of the story, and I encourage you to find this story out in your family as well. I was actually born, when I was born, my, both of my parents were Catholic. Neither of my parents were Bible-believing Christians. Now, I'm not saying a Catholic couldn't, can't be a Bible-believing Christian. They certainly can be. But I don't think my parents were. I don't think my parents would say that they were. I don't think that they would say that they knew Jesus when I was born. When I was a baby, when I was one year old, a neighbor down the street from my mom invited her to her women's Bible study. And I still remember her name, this woman's name. I probably met her when I was a kid. Her name is Sue Schur. Sue Schur invited my mom to a Bible study, and my mom went and met Jesus. So when I think of the messenger, I think of, in my family line, I think of Sue Schur. Sue was the messenger. She was the one who first brought Jesus to my family. My mom heard the gospel. She responded to this good news about Jesus being the Messiah, She accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior, my mom did, in this Bible study. She shared it with my dad. My dad eventually came to faith, and both of my parents now raised me and all of my siblings. They raised us to know Jesus. So my mom was the messenger for me, my mom and my dad, but Sue Schur was a messenger for my mom. I'm so grateful for Sue Schur. I wonder who that person is in in your family, in your story. I want you to think about that. In fact, I want to encourage you to share it. I'm so glad that my parents have shared that with me, that I know that. I know that part of the story, and I encourage you to share that as you think about that. Who are these people in my life? Who are these Gabriels? You know, angel literally just means messenger. The book of Revelation talks about, if you know the book of Revelation, it talks about to the angel of the church of Laodicea, to, to the angel of this church or that church, Some people actually believe, it literally just means to the messenger of the church. Some people believe that those who are talking about the pastors of those churches. Because the pastor is a messenger. And really any one of us can be a messenger. So Gabriel was the one that got to bring this great news to Mary. And Sushur was the Gabriel in my family. And what about the method? So that's the messenger, but what was the method that God was going to use to come into the world, to send the Messiah into the world. Remember John 7, some of the people thought they were, he was just going to plop down this fully grown man, or maybe not even a man. They might have thought the Messiah was going to be just a God. But no, actually, this is crazy. We're going to get a little theological, theological here. The method was to impregnate a virgin so that the Messiah would be fully God and fully man, and that's the story of Christmas. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now think about that, God with us, God among us humans, that the Messiah, God's plan all along, and again, 
Some people in Jesus' day didn't even fully understand how this was going to work. The disciples didn't even understand it. And I guarantee you a 14-year-old girl didn't understand this theologically, what was happening. But let me explain to you what happened. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and by the power of the Spirit, she became pregnant, not by another human, but by God's Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit allows Mary to have, to conceive and have a child. This we call, this is called the virgin birth or the immaculate conception. In fact, we went, when we were in Rome, we got to go to Vatican City and, and that's a big deal in Vatican City because of course the Catholic faith understands this part of the message. And so why? Why, why was this the method? Why did, why did, the Messiah have to have a human mom and a divine father. Joseph was not Jesus' real dad. Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. Why? Why did it have to happen that way? Well, because the Bible says, because Jesus took on flesh so that when he went to the cross 33 years later, that he could go to the cross and represent us. Ross, Pastor Ross explains it like this. Think about a class action lawsuit. In order, in order, to, rep, in order to be a part of a class action law, lawsuit, you have to be a part of the class, right? So Jesus had to be a part of the class, humanity. If he was gonna represent us on the cross, he had to be one of us. But if, if he had a Joseph as his biological dad and Mary as his biological mom, then he would have been 100% human and not divine, and he would have had the sin nature. But Jesus didn't have a sin nature. This is, this is the beauty of God's plan, is that, that Jesus had a mom. He was born of the seed of a woman, which was, which was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. We looked at this last week. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelion, the first time the gospel was ever men mentioned in the Bible was Genesis 3.15 when, when God is speaking to Satan in the Garden of Eden and he says, look, her seed, her seed will strike your head or will crush your head even though you will strike his heel. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, the seed of a woman. Notice it doesn't say the seed of a woman and a man. It just says the seed of a woman. And so here, here, even though they didn't fully understand this, they couldn't put all this together, that Mary was that woman. Mary was the, was the virgin prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. And so Mary said, Luke chapter 1, Mary said this, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the baby to be born will be Holy. Because again, if Joseph was the real dad, then the baby wouldn't be holy. The baby would be sinful like all of us. We're all born into sin. But because the power of the Most High overshadowed Mary, the baby was holy and will be called the Son of God. Let's introduce Joseph. Joseph, who, to whom Mary was engaged, was a righteous man, and he didn't want to disgrace Mary publicly, and so he decided to break the engagement 
quietly. Now, I've got to just correct something. When we read this in the NLT, we use language that we understand engagement, but actually the concept was more the concept of betrothal. They were betrothed, and 2,000 years ago, when a young man and a young woman were betrothed as, Jewish, as a Jewish couple, it was more like being married than being betrothed, even though they weren't supposed to consummate that yet, and they hadn't. It was, it was a much bigger commitment. See, in our church today, if you were to come to us and say, hey, I'm engaged, we want to get married, we want you to do the wedding, and we'll get you connected to a pastor, and that pastor's going to sit down and do premarital counseling with you, and we're going to walk through some stuff with you, but here, I'm just going to tell you something. When we, one of the first things I say to a married couple is this, look, look, I want to help you to know if this is what you guys should do, if this is the path you guys should take. But if there's any red flags, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like that's my job. I'm going to be honest with you. And so basically what we say to people in premarital counseling is this is your last chance to get out of this. This is your last chance. Like once you get married, we're not going to say that. Once you get married, that's a commitment. That's a covenant. You're in it to win it. But the, but the engagement time is a time to just kind of turn over every rock and make sure that this really is the right thing, that we should move forward with this. And we take that seriously. Premarital counseling is really important. We're doing that with several couples right now. And we're helping them really vet their relationship. And it's right for them not to get married, to cut off the engagement, to break off the engagement. It's right for them to do that at this point before they get married. Because once they speak those vows to one another, like they're committed but in Mary's case and in Joseph's case, that was, it was actually more like being married already. See, engagement back then, betrothal, was much more serious. When you were betrothed to somebody, if you wanted to break off the engagement, it was a big deal. It was more like divorce if you were going to break off an engagement. And so here Joseph is, and, and he hears this story. We don't really know, we don't exactly know, but it could be once Mary got the message from Gabriel, it's possible that she went, we know that she went to see her cousin Elizabeth for a few months. And it might be that Joseph didn't know about her pregnancy until after she came back. We don't know for sure. But I kind of have a feel, I have a feeling that maybe she didn't tell Joseph about the Gabriel encounter until a few months into it. Whatever the case, could you imagine, put yourself in Joseph's shoes that Mary comes and says, hey, I'm pregnant? Now, Joseph's, Joseph knows that people are going to either think she stepped out on him, and that's terrible for her, or that, that they got some things out of order in their relationship, and then that would reflect poorly on both of them. Whatever the case the Bible says that he wanted to break the engagement quietly. He wanted to, I'm sure that it was very hard for him to make this decision, but he probably weighed his options and he, he said, I love you, Mary, but I can't go through with this. But he wanted to honor her and break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this leads us kind of the last movement in our message today, and that's the mission. Because look at what it says in verse 24. I love this. It says that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary 
as his wife. Do you notice how immediate that was? It didn't say when he woke up, he really fretted and went to his pros and cons chart on his whiteboard, and he threw that in the pros column. Well, Angel said it's okay. <laughs> no, it's, it says that as soon as he woke up, he immediately obeyed and took Mary as his wife. He didn't expect that this marriage was going to start off like this. He didn't expect that he was going to be raising the Savior of the world. He would be the, the stepdad of the Savior of the world. He didn't expect that he would have to make some of these, I'm sure, some of these sacrifices. We don't really have this, but I'm sure if we had like a People magazine from 2,000 years ago, like there was plenty, plenty of stuff in the tabloids about Joseph and Mary and plenty of stuff about the scandal. We don't have any of that information, but you better believe that that was really hard, that that was a sacrifice for Joseph to accept the mission. But he did. And Joseph became the stepdad of the Savior of the world. I love what it says in verse 37. This is Mary's response, for the word of God will never fail. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So here we see this young couple who had no idea at all that they would be raising Jesus. This was the unexpected pregnancy that was thrust into their world. And they stepped, stepped up and they shepherded. They, they raised baby Jesus. They raised him through all those years just like any parent would do. And this was the mission on their life. Now, I, wanna, I just want to close with this thought for you. What is the mission God has put on your life? You know, I think we're all called to serve Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called, you're called to like, serve him like Mary and Joseph did. You're called to preserve his legacy like Mary and Joseph were called. That's your job. That's my job. That God is... God has a plan for us. He has a mission for us that maybe, is a, that maybe pushes us out of our comfort zones just a little bit, like Joseph and Mary were forced out of their comfort zones. And I want to just suggest, in closing, I want to suggest what that mission might be in the next couple of weeks. I think that mission, for all of us, is just simply to be invitational. You know, we have our Christmas Eve service in just a couple of weeks, December 24th, write it down if you've never heard of that date. December 24th, that's Christmas Eve. And we, every year we, we print these little invite cards. They're just business-sized cards. It's really simple. It just has the information about the Christmas Eve service at this campus. And they're, we call them invite cards because that's what they are. You're supposed to use them to invite somebody to come. And that's the mission I want to give you today. In fact, I want to... I want to challenge everybody in here to take three of these cards and to take them home today and to pray over them. And just say, God, I, I pray that whoever ends up with these cards, God, that you would do the rest of the work, but I'm going to just do at least the first part and I'm going to invite somebody. That's your mission. I am so grateful that Sue Sure invited my mom to a Bible study. That's all she did. A simple invitation. And that she, she became the messenger that changed 
Little did she know that it changed my mom's life and my dad's life and my life and all of my siblings and anyone that I've impacted, it's changed their lives because of Sue Sure, a simple invitation. Sue couldn't preach. I don't even know how much Sue knew the Bible, honestly. I don't even know Sue. But I do know that she was faithful and she stepped out of her comfort zone and she invited my mom to a Bible study and it changed a bunch of lives. And who knows, who knows, but maybe you have a neighbor or a coworker, and I'm not saying you got to preach the gospel to him. I'm not saying you got to explain the virgin birth to him. But I am saying that maybe just a simple invitation could change their lives. That's your mission. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to go outside of our comfort zone for you. Jesus, you started it. You went outside of your comfort zone when you came to the earth. When you left heaven and you came down, you were born in a stable and you came, you took on flesh and you made your dwelling among us. You were Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, that was uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable for you to go to the cross. It was uncomfortable for Mary and Joseph to accept the mission. They didn't feel favored. But yet in retrospect, we can see that they were. And God, I pray for every one of us that you would allow us to open our eyes to that unexpected encounter in our lives this week or next week. Or maybe that neighbor or that friend or that co-worker or family member, someone that maybe we've been talking to or maybe someone we're just, we're just gonna bump into that we're not even, we don't even know them yet. God, whatever it is, Lord, I pray for these three invitations for each one of us, God, that, that we would have our eyes open to what you want to do in and through us this Christmas. And we're going to praise you and worship you for whatever the results are. In Jesus' name, amen.